Guys, we are in the second week of this series called Faith Works. And coming into this week, there's a really cool idea of this, of the idea of legacy. And I know that, you know, when you're in middle school and, and when it seems like everything is still in front of you, the concept of your legacy is like the furthest thing from your mind. It doesn't really matter. You're not trying to think of how people will remember you. You're just trying to think of how people will like accept you or how people will think of you in the moment that you're in right now because you've got years and years and years to accomplish things. That's how we measure legacy is like the accumulation of all of your accomplishments. Then we look back and we say, well, this guy did something or this guy impacted something or, or this lady did something great or something like that. And when life is full of just the junk that you guys experience, when it's full of eight hours of school, when it's full of homework, when it's full of lazy days over the summer, you're not thinking about what is, what are people going to remember me for? What is going to be the thing that when people say my name in 50 years, they're going to think about? And I get it, but, you know, we think about that a lot maybe more in sports. And I grew up playing sports, and one thing really cool about when I was playing sports growing up is that my dad was always my coach. Playing football, playing baseball, my dad was always my coach. And it's, it's funny, this idea of legacy because it's a conversation that you hear if you ever turn on ESPN, that's all you hear is LeBron better than Michael Jordan yet. Is it, is it KD's team or is it Steph's team? Whose accomplishments are better? Who has done this great thing? Who is the greatest? I get it. It's already filtering through the room. Benign conversations that absolutely mean nothing. But they're all about legacy. They're all about how you're going to remember somebody. It's always about who has to overcome the most, who maybe has the easiest path, or who, who really worked for something and did something. And so I remember when my dad used to coach me, he used to tell me two things. And if you've ever been on a team, if you've ever, been, if you've ever had a coach, or maybe your parents, they've probably told you something very similar to this. They always, he always used to tell me two things. Number one, if you want to be great, you have to, work, you have to outwork everyone else. Makes sense. If you want to be great, you got to put more work into the other guy than the other guy. You've got to run harder. You've got to practice more. You've got to do this more than they do it, and you're never, or you're never going to be great. And the second thing that he always used to tell me was that you're not a quitter. No matter what you do, you're not a quitter. So if you commit to something, you're going to see it through. So if you start something, you're going to finish it. It's probably something we've heard a ton of times. So in the conversation of legacy, it, it actually reminded me of a couple uh, sports stars that have two very different legacies, two things that they're remembered for. Maybe it doesn't matter about their greatness, but they're remembered for different things. And the first one is this guy named Ricky Williams. Does anybody know Ricky Williams? He used to play football from the University of Texas, Heisman Trophy winner, number five overall draft pick in 1999 to the New Orleans Saints. They actually traded like eight draft picks to get this guy. They traded away everything, their future, because this guy was supposed to be the savior of a football team. He was the greatest coming out of college. And the thing with Ricky is in 2004, right before training camp was getting ready to start, like days before, the week before training camp was starting, he quit. He retired. Like a week before the season was starting, a week before everything was getting ready, all the hope of the new season, all the team building from last year, building on your accomplishments and hoping that this season will be the one where we go forward, he quit when he was a member of the Miami Dolphins. 
And so you think football, yeah, he probably quit because his body couldn't take it. He quit it because of concussions or he, he quit it because he was injured. But he, he actually quit because he kept failing substance abuse policy testings. And he was facing a four-game suspension. So he took a couple years off to find himself, which meant he took a couple years off to go on a marijuana quest, <laughs> which is true. He, he ultimately would end up wasting some of like the best years of his football career because his priority was set in something a little bit selfish. And so no matter how great you think Ricky was, like Ricky, I think Ricky is one of, is, if not the best uh, Dolphins running back, and you guys might, who cares? I'm a Dolphins fan, so it's kind of biased, but he might be the best Dolphins running back they've ever had, but his legacy is one of a quitter. That's what he's remembered for. Then there's another guy that, if you don't know who Ricky Williams was, you totally don't know who this next guy is. There's a pitcher, used to be in major leagues, his name was Jim Abbott. And so, if you're looking at this picture, it looks kind of weird, but it's very true. Jim Abbott was a one-handed Major League Baseball pitcher. So Jim Abbott played, he was drafted in 1988, first round. He was a 1988 gold medalist for the U.S. baseball team. This guy was legit, and he had one hand. I know pitchers in the Major Leagues, I know pitchers in high school, guys who can throw a ball that can't do it as good with two hands, and this guy was doing it at the top level with one. And so in 1988, he enters the major leagues, but in 2003, or in 1993, sorry, in 1993, he does something really, really cool. So watch this video. The guy with one hand no-hit the Cleveland Indians in 1993. That's incredible. He threw a no-hitter. He had every obstacle that could possibly be put in someone's path. If you're thinking that you're going to be an athlete, that you're going to be an athlete at the highest level, you would imagine that there is a prerequisite of having all ten fingers if you're going to be a pitcher. But this guy did it in a different way. And what's really cool is that he inspired a ton of people. He's got a quote saying uh, towards the end of his career, he said, It's not the disability that defines you. It's how you deal with the challenges the disability presents you with. So if you're looking at these two guys, you're looking at Ricky Williams and you're looking at Jim Abbott, they have two totally different legacies. They both did things at the highest level that you can do it when it comes to sports, but one is always going to re be remembered as someone who wasted his prime and was a quitter. And then there's another guy who's going to always be remembered for overcoming the obstacles, for overcoming everything that should say, you can't do this, and becoming an inspiration. So let me ask you this. If those are the two options, which story do you want to be told about you? Do you want to be remembered as someone who, when things got hard, you said, uh, no, I really don't want to try anymore. I'm going to give up. Or do you want to be remembered as someone who never quit no matter how hard life got? Who never quit no matter how hard the things around you seemed? No matter how big the trial or how big the storm, the junk around you, you never quit. And so I think that that's our big thought for tonight. It's, it's, it's this, the belief that, that God wants to turn your trial into your testimony. So if you're taking notes, this is the first thing that you're writing down tonight. That God wants to turn your trial into your testimony. And so we all have a story. Some of us are creating it. Some of us have experienced a story that's already pretty hard. My, my story starts when I was uh, a teenager. When I was in high school, my family started falling apart. 
I remember that my parents, you know, my parents would, would, would stop sleeping in the same room together. I would wake up early in the morning and I'd see my mom on the couch because she didn't want to stay in the same room as my dad. And, you know, the, the place where you want to be most comfortable, you want to be most comfortable at your home. For me, it was the last place I ever wanted to be. I never felt good in my home and I hated it. And it's taken years for me, it's taken years for me to reconcile and even start building back that relationship that I had with my mom. And I know that that's true for a lot of you guys, but here's the thing that's really interesting is that God took my story and God took the things that I've dealt with and been through and he put me into, into the church and started working in the church in the most divorced generation that's ever existed. And he's, he's uniquely given me the story and given me an opportunity to tell people because there are other people who deal with and have dealt with the, the same things that I dealt with, the same things that I had to overcome. And so God didn't, God didn't call, uh, he didn't cause my parents to get divorced, but he did get me through that so that my story would make, would, 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 would make others closer to him and make others know him that he had not forgotten me. And so I believe that it's totally true that it was God's plan to turn my trial into my testimony, into my story that I would tell others to give glory to God. And that I would see a breakthrough when I persevered through the hard times. That's a word you're going to hear a lot tonight is perseverance. And so if you've been around 12 Stone a little bit, you've probably heard the name John Maxwell. He's a guy teaches a ton of leadership. He's written like 80 books about leadership. We've even got a building with his name on it over at the Sugarloaf campus. But he's got this quote that I think is really great. He says, everything worthwhile in life is uphill. Which is just a way to say that, uh, that there's a level of enjoyment that you get when you have to overcome something to accomplish something. And it's kind of funny because you know, a couple days removed from the end of the NBA Finals, you hear a lot of people saying, well, you know, KD really didn't have to try very hard. So it's not a real championship. You know, when LeBron went to Miami, he, he didn't put together a super team, but he kind of did. But KD kind of walked into a super team, the greatest team in history. So it doesn't really count. Well, no matter what you think, I think it totally counts. He's got a big old ring. I know, Austin, you're upset, but whatever. It's not a good story, I know, unless you're a Warriors fan. And if you're honest with yourself, you weren't a Warriors fan five years ago. <laughs> it's okay. But the big idea in all this, the big idea in this whole conversation is that perseverance is a huge component of our faith. I think you've got a spot to write that in your notes, that perseverance is a huge piece, a huge component of our faith. And so we're going to jump into the Bible. Go ahead, if you've got your Bible with, it, with you, if you're using uh, the Worship Center Bible, go ahead and turn to page 1216. We're in James 1. And so as you're turning there, I'm going to, I'm going to read it. James 1, verse 2 through 4, on page 1216, it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that in the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the Bible is telling us to persevere. It's actually even saying, let perseverance finish its work. Like, 
stick it out. Perseverance is leading to something. Your ability to just stay in the fight when the fight seems too hard to stay in, that's something that, that, that God is helping you create your story. He's trying to bring you something, and he wants you to fight through it. So whatever it is, it, whatever it is, perseverance is just the act of staying in it. It's powerful. And the Bible says in Proverbs 24, it says that for the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. So it doesn't say that if you are righteous, if you're a believer in God, if you've been born again, if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, it's not saying that you're not going to fall. It's not saying that now that you said yes to Jesus, life is lollipops and rainbows. That's not how it works. It's saying that the righteous are going to fall, that you're going to fall over and over and over, and life is going to hit you, and things are going to happen, and it's going to be messy, and you're going to do things to people, and people are going to do things to you. But the righteous, when they fall, they get back up. They're not quitters. They keep fighting. They keep following Jesus. And so a great example of this type of perseverance is someone that you've probably heard a lot if you've been around M12. It's, it's Paul. In the, in the Bible, there's no one that did more for the Christian faith that helped shape Christianity more other than Jesus was Paul. Until Paul's conversion, there was very little done to send Christianity past the certain group of people, past the Jews. The Gentiles didn't know who Jesus was. So Jesus' story, the gospel of Jesus, the story of who he is and what he had done was only in this little region until Paul started helping people take it away and take it to other places. He set out three missionary journeys that would take it through the, the, the Roman Empire. And if you remember anything in the Bible or you remember anything about your history books, the Roman Empire was not too keen on the story of Jesus and who Jesus was. But what's cool about Paul is that he wrote 13 books of the Bible, all found in the New Testament. So we wouldn't be where we are in our faith if he hadn't persevered. And you might think, okay, well, that's great. Like, he did some hard stuff, and he told people about Jesus. Yeah. But I, actually, he wrote about the things that he experienced. And so we're going to go into 2 Corinthians as he's writing to the church in Corinth. And he's telling them what he's dealing with simply for telling people about Jesus. So if you think your life is hard, and I've thought this before, man, life is hard. It's hard to walk up to someone and say, do you know who Jesus is? Think of how awkward it would be. No, let's look at what, what Paul was going through. So in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So Paul is telling people, hey, I'm letting people know about Jesus and it's hard. 
but our hope is still there. Our fight is still in us. The perseverance is flowing through Paul as he would continue and take the story of Jesus throughout the Roman Empire, throughout all these places that had never heard it before. And that might seem like, you know, he's, it's chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians. He's still got a little bit of fight in him. You know, he's, he's not really dealt with a lot. You know, he's, he's tired, he's hungry, but he's being fueled by the Holy Spirit. He's being fueled by Jesus, by the story of who Jesus is. It's kind of like when we all start believing in Jesus, when we, when we accept him, we're full of fire. You're full of excitement. You're like, man, my life has changed. I've done, I've done this thing that has given me freedom. I've done this thing that's given me hope. Yeah, maybe some of my friends don't accept me. Yeah, maybe my parents don't quite understand it. Maybe there's people around me that aren't quite getting it. But you know what? It doesn't matter. I am on a spiritual high. Well, life isn't always that kind to us. And you'll see if you read a little bit longer into 2 Corinthians that Paul's story begins to sound a little bit more bleak. So in, ch in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he says this, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. So it kind of got a little scary. So Paul, who, who is taking this good news, he's taking Jesus, he's taking the story of Jesus and, and him dying on a cross so that our sins would be forgiven, that we wouldn't have to go through all these A to B to C, all of this old system to find a way to God. He's taking this something that is freeing of people. It's supposed to give life. But yet the people want him dead over and over and over and over and over again. Every city he walks into, he's in danger. Every place he goes, people want him dead. Everything that he does is the wrong thing to the people that are around him. It's like trying to go on Twitter and start a political conversation. No matter what you say, you've just said the wrong thing. So I, 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 it's, it's incredible to believe the level of perseverance that Paul had. That as people were trying to actively kill him every day, as people were trying to actively take him and stop what he was doing every day, he didn't give up when it seemed impossible. Paul never gave up on his mission, and it's amazing because God used that. God used his fight. God used his perseverance. And so when, when most people would say, like, if you've got a friend who's dealing with a lot of junk, and maybe it's like how they dress or maybe they're getting a lot of grief for their boyfriend or their girlfriend or maybe they're getting a lot of grief for something that maybe they could just choose and change it. Something that would be really easy just to say, you know what, I think I'm going to give that up. I'm not going to try and make that, this a part of me anymore. If you're a friend of that person, you would say, hey, um, things would be a lot easier if you didn't do that. 
people would respect you more, or people wouldn't give you as much crap if you just didn't do that thing. We've probably all had that conversation with a friend. Or you've had that conversation from your friends to you. I get it. But for Paul, the kingdom of God, it was worth all of that. The kingdom of God was worth all the stuff that he had to go through. Because you see, what we do during our adversity, it says a lot about who we are. When you have the option to do something wrong, but you choose to do something right, it says a lot about you. It's your character. It's your integrity. And what you do in the middle of a trial, what you do in the middle of a storm, when it seems like things would be much easier to give up, that says a lot about who you are. And so if I'm honest with you, it's way easier to say that. It's way easier to think like, okay, you know, when the going gets tough, just keep on fighting. It sounds like a great inspirational thing that your grandma would put on Facebook. Like, I get it. It's way easier to say. It's way easier to come to church and, you know what, say just, you know, Jesus is the answer. I'm just going to make it through. But the truth is, if you're in this room, you've dealt with something that's really, really hard. It might not be the same thing that someone else has dealt with. Maybe your really hard is contextually something different than everyone else. Or maybe your really hard is in your next season. Maybe that thing that you don't want to happen that's going to kind of test you is waiting for you. So when my, when my parents' marriage, when it was breaking apart, when my family unit was kind of dissolving around me, Man, I took it really hard. I, I, I have this habit of taking things when they're happening around me, and if I can't fix it, then I hold on to it. And I push it way down inside, and I think, well, why can't I fix this for someone else? And so when I was 17, I was diagnosed with clinical depression, and I started getting put on medication, and I started seeing more doctors than I ever want to admit who were supposed to talk to me and find where the sad places were. You know, it's supposed to be that easy. But I'll, but I'll be truthful with you is that during that season of my life, I've never felt so much despair. I've never felt, I've never been in a place before where I felt like, you know, I couldn't do anything and I, and, and I had so much pain all the time. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want to see people. I didn't want people to notice how much that I was hurting. And, and what was really hard about it is that I grew up in the church. And so I knew, I knew that, that my answer, when I felt like I couldn't do anything right and that everything was falling down on top of me and hope was being lost, I knew that my answer was, you need to pray about it. You need to seek God more. But I'll tell you, I've never been in a place more in my life where it seemed that God was not there. And I remember being in that season. I remember being in that place where I said, do I really believe any of this anymore? God, you're, you're supposed to be the one who's supposed to help me through the things that are hard, and you're not here. And so I felt abandoned. I didn't know what to do. I was hurt all the time. It was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And, and everything that I trusted in, everything that I believed in, everything that I thought was supposed to help me be better, 
was falling apart. And so I'd question myself, like, is it worth is it worth trying to persevere? Is it worth trying to go through this? Would it be easier just to not? And then there's this hope. There's this hope in the book of James that we're in in this series. It's that when we don't give up, God gives us something on the other side of our trial, on the other side of the mess. In James 1.12, it says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So however dark the night, however dim the hope, the light will always follow darkness. That's, that's the hope that is written in that scripture. And so I know that this may not be true for you, that, you know, that you're like, man, I don't, I don't have anything in my life that's really hard right now. But I, but I can be pretty certain in saying that it doesn't take too many relationships for you to find someone around you that is dealing with something really hard. That's not a big prophetic statement. That's just the world. That's just the sin that's happening. That's the brokenness that's around. But there's some of you guys in here that are thinking like, man, Travis, you're, you're saying something that's real to me and, I'm, and it makes sense, but, but your, pain, your pain isn't the same pain that I feel. Your struggle isn't the same struggle that I feel. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've done to someone. You don't know the relationship that I've broken. You don't know what someone's done to me. You don't know what I've had to, what I've had to live through, what I've had to push down deep inside and say, you know what, it's okay. I can still be sunny on the outside and make everyone think that it's all right, but in the inside, I hate myself. In the inside, it feels like God is gone. On the inside, it feels like everything is broken and I don't know how to fix it. And I don't know how you're feeling, but I know that I've been there. And the only, the only thing that I can really say, having been in that moment and having felt those feelings is that even though it may feel like it, God has not abandoned you. That you're not alone in this. He's not letting you fight this alone. He's calling on you to persevere through it. And I realized this in my life in probably what was the darkest, most hopeless time ever. Everything around me was breaking. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have anyone anymore. Because I was so hurt, I broke all my relationships. I didn't have any friends anymore because I couldn't deal with the questions. My family was falling apart and I couldn't talk to them. And so I remember being home one night and you know my mom was out and my dad was, uh, my dad was upstairs watching TV and you know, by this time, I was on medication, and like I said, I was seeing doctors and um, supposedly talking to people who were going to make me feel okay. You know, just talk about it. You'll be okay. But that's not how it was working, because I was broken. I wasn't almost broken. I was broken. And I remember being in my house and walking downstairs to the basement. My dad has a big gun collection. And I'm like, this would be so much easier. 
when I'm, when I'm dealing with so much hurt and I don't know how to fix it and no one's giving me advice on how to fix it and God's not there, maybe this would be easier. And so I remember sitting on the steps in my basement. And I just took a deep breath. I'm sitting there looking like, is this the night that my life is over? And behind me, as clear a voice I've ever heard in my life, I heard, you're not a quitter. And I turned around thinking that my dad hadn't seen me. My dad had come down the stairs and seen what was happening. I turned around, there was no one there. In the middle of my brokenness, in the middle of my pain, God found me. He hadn't forgotten me. He's not forgotten you. There is stuff that you're going to deal with. There is stuff that I'm sorry that you've already had to deal with in your life. It's unfair how cruel this world is. But if you know anything, know that God has not forgotten you. There will be seasons where you feel like you've fallen away and it's hard and you have to remind yourself that things are true about God even though you may not believe them in that moment. But it's true that God has not forgotten you. He is calling on you to persevere. You are not a quitter. You are supposed to be in the fight. Because in the fight, your trial becomes your testimony. Your testimony becomes the story that you tell others that brings glory to God and makes his kingdom expand. That you are Paul. You are taking the story of Jesus and you are taking it out into places that it's never been before.